Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Tamarcus Raglan. What's going on? And we, you will absolutely feel the absence of our other host, Elizabeth Woodson, but she is doing a lot more important things, namely writing a book. And so we're really looking forward to her writing and we wish her well as she works really hard to bring some thoughts together. So she might not be on the next few episodes, but we're pressuring her as much as possible to get her back. (laughs) Pray for if you think of her. Yeah, amen. But we're also joined by Jonathan Dodson, who I'm really uh, pumped to have on the show. Jonathan is uh, a friend, mentor, and brother in the gospel, and he uh, is the founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, church planner. Uh, He's the founder of Gospel-Centered Discipleship. He's an author of many books, Um, and most recently, he has joined Citizens Church staff. Uh, That's our home church. He's joined the staff as the theologian in residence. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Joy to be here. Thanks, guys. Glad to have you. You also have that you know, podcast voice that I think is really going to speak to our listeners. So, yeah. And can you hear it as you talk into the mic and it transfers back into your headphones? (laughs) I have a podcast voice. I have a podcast voice. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, Today, what we wanted to do is we're in the, as as we record this episode at the time of recording, we're we're entering the, the beginning of 2024. We're in the beginning of January 2024, and we're trying to look out at culture and the state of culture now. I think what most of us, as as we've been talking offline and as I've been listening to sort of just media conversations between people in the congregation, it doesn't seem like anybody is looking at 2024 and saying, man, this is going to be the year where everybody really comes together and we hang on to some overarching, unifying, you know, pillar of belief. Instead, Mm. it feels like the world is more divided maybe more angry. It is at, with an election year, especially in the States, it feels like we're on the precipice of a new, a, a different age, not just one that's fearful, but one that's ready to sort of explode a little bit. And I want us to, to maybe name some of the features of that that we're seeing. And then from there, perhaps we could talk about what's the Christian response to this? How do we prepare for a 2024 that looks to be challenging? Yeah. Yeah, I think one one of the things which, if you haven't heard it already, we would highly recommend. But all of us have been listening to a podcast from Mark Sayers, and it's on the the mega trend of of twenty twenty four. And you know, the Mark, podcast is called Rebuilders. I think yes, the podcast is Rebuilders. The episode was on the mega trends, and you know, Mark, if you're listening, we'd love to chat it up with you some point. <laughs> but part of part of what he does is just give like a, a overarching kind of view of really global affairs and different things that are taking place. And what he would argue is shifting us out of this kind of like eight year era from 2015 to 2023 of like the age of anxiety into age of anger mm. um, and, and outrage. Be encouraged. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, light things. And, you know, I won't get into all of it. Won't do it as eloquently as he. But even as we are thinking about some of those things, the economic effects, the you know, wars that are happening around the world or just disputes, as we stated, incoming election year. I was thinking of like artifacts of just kind of like pop culture Mm. where we we see kind of the, yeah, just the artifacts of some of the things he was uh, speaking of. And I was, I'm a big NBA fan. I was watching a game the other day 
and they had a, a commercial from Coinbase. And they basically were tracking through, like, you know, in the 1965, you go to college, you graduate, you get married, you get a house. And, you know, 1975, 1980, it's all kind of the same. And then you hit 20, you know, 2020, and it's like, go to college, get a job, get another job, find some roommates, rent an apartment, get in debt. And it's like, oh, you start to feel that narrative shift. And they're trying to, they're speaking to a particular people in, in, who resonate, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of young people who resonate with that narrative. I'm not sure if Coinbase is the solution, <laughs> has yeah. the solution to it, but they definitely put their finger on something. And so, you know, you have that, You, I say that to say, like, you have these, these deep thinkers who are thinking through real global problems. And then we even see that pressing into kind of our day-to-day mm-hmm. people are, are feeling that in the populace as well. And so, yeah, just as as we as we think about that, what are what are other other ways that we see that popping up, and and what how does that maybe has it sprinkled itself into the church? Mm. Um, yeah, I'll go and just say, you know, for a long time, different social theorists and commentators have been talking about a differentiated age, an, an age in which the the underpinnings of society. Mm. We, we don't have a common belief system that ties us all together anymore. I remember being at in law school and I was taking some philosophy classes in a in a European philosopher and social theorist that was really popular named Jurgen Habermas came and spoke. And this is in, you know, 2007, you know, and yeah. he was saying how the saving grace for us in a world that doesn't share a backdrop of beliefs anymore. So as I talk about you know, family and those kind of things. It's like there's so much assumed in the word family and in the idea of family. And so when we talk about that together, we're all kind of agreeing on what that means without having to say it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, his proposal for what the saving grace would be, this is way back in 2007, was language. It's going to be through language that we'll find some common ground or something like that. So a very kind of, you know, secular and and even I would say continental approach to solving the problem of differentiation. But I think – I think he, so w- what are other artifacts I I have just seen that that unmooring from fundamental and first principles and belief yeah. systems I've seen the unmooring kind of almost grow up now and I think the one of the main places you see it is if you spend any time on social media which I don't spend a lot of time on social media but when I do it's like sex gender any institution all of it is kind of being torn apart and oftentimes not even being put back together, right? So it's like right now there is no – it doesn't matter who you are. No one loves institutions. Everybody looks at authority and is like authority is bad, right? There's places where you can make some arguments. But for the most part, you just feel this fighting happening. You feel this disagreement on every corner. Distrust and othering of people very quickly. So I would just say spend time on social media and you'll see a lot of artif- cultural <laughs> artifacts about a divided age, if you want to call it that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a felt reality, whether yeah. you have data or social theorists or whatever. Right. If you're listening to this podcast, you have a family member who's out at odds with another family member and mm-hmm. won't speak anymore. Mm. You feel at odds perhaps with theological positions that you used to have. Right. That you're now questioning. That's right. Re- yep. Whether it's, you know, theology of salvation or the church or gender or sex or race so it's a felt reality for sure and it's something that we really i think we had a big it was an age anxiety you know 2015 to 2020 
three, but there was also a lot of anger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot I, of outrage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not like we didn't experience anger. And I appreciate, sure. you know, Mark making some distinctions and you have to do that in history. So, yeah, we could pile on we could pile on the artifacts and illustrations. But something that I'm thinking a little bit about and, you know, I could be completely wrong is is that people have gone through not only anxiety and anger over division, but they're they're wanting something yeah. other than anger and other than anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing a little bit of a grab for theological concepts in popular mm. culture. I'm seeing the word covenant pop up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the covenant of water, a book that's been fiction book that's been written about an Indian family looking for significance and security. MGMT's new song that mm. I just listened to this morning, Mother Mother Nature, mm-hmm. very, very haunted by longings of a covenant of the heart and uh, going to a temple and kind of wanting security in the midst of chaos. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a crazy year, but I think people are longing for more than just getting mad at each other and being fractured and having broken trust. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it seems like what the the thing that I think is hard or maybe an obstacle in the way of that is that modernity doesn't seem set up or where whatever we are post post modernity or whatever it's like it doesn't seem set up to give the tools the tools that yes. we thought were going to unite social media these other technology mainly technology pieces media whatever they don't seem to be able to provide the answer yeah and yet in all the, just like you were talking about, in music and movies, and you're seeing this reach, you know? I even think of, I know it's more recent, but some of the Marvel movies or some of the movies that are coming out now, I, they're still the anti-hero, right? And the mm-hmm. person who kind of, made, but you're also seeing like the hero hero on the rise again. And just yeah. the person who's like good and decent and saving us from evil, you know? And, and so I think even in that, it's like some of the stories are becoming simpler again as I watch. Not all, not all, but I am noticing more of that, you yeah. know? Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen, too, in the, I'm glad you brought that up, in the culture, it's it's an interesting tension because there is, there's this simultaneous, like, interest and intrigue and spirituality yeah. of any sort. Right. But a a a big kind of hesitation to, like, name any one way of it right? right and so there's there's still no concrete truth no. there's still no absolutes but but I want to I want to grab for something so it there's a there's an element of it right and it's it can be rather thin mm-hmm. at times but you do see this this trend I'm just I mean I'm thinking of so so many different social media influence and stuff who are who are leading into this kind of spiritual life the spiritual retreats and even some of the the travel getting away getting in nature getting trying to trying to escape from the the real problems we feel here but also admitting like that but like I don't but I don't I don't know if this is even it mm-hmm. but it feels better than mm-hmm. than where we are and so it's a yeah it's an interesting interesting t- tension yeah i think i think you know one just maybe one more piece is just to say on this same topic it's like w- there was for a minute a sense that maybe the new age was out 
mm-hmm. especially around the time of new atheism and some things like that. Right. It was like, oh yeah, all that stuff's really hokey. And it sort of started to to you know get move back to the fringes a fringes, little bit more. Yeah. But it's all coming back yeah. hard. I mean, like even around where we live, I noticed there was a crystal shop. Exactly. I mean, we're in a pretty conservative Bible Belt area, and there's like a new age crystal Crystals. shop that mm-hmm. opened up. And I'm like, that's weird, you know? Yeah. Like for here, you know, yeah. you might expect that in certain areas. But yeah, I just think we're all seeing the grasping for for more, for mystery, for... Is that where you got that crystal? Adam? Yeah, um, around my neck now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really good for um, shoulder pain. So. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so but let's lean into the opportunity then a little right. bit. Because I think, John, you know, Jonathan, you, you were bringing that up. It's like people are ready for more. And there are a lot of false paths, you know, dead ends and things that are easily accessible right now because of the proliferation of you know, ways to of, to find out things, knowledge, you know. Yeah. Um, but we as Christians believe we actually do have the answer. Um, we do believe in a God that though the earth is teetering and tottering and, and you know, wars are, you know, sabers are rattling, there's a God who doesn't change and who stands mm. firm in the midst of all of that and actually provides that not only a foundation to kind of hold society together, but provides a foundation that leads to true flourishing, and so let's talk about that. Like yes. in this age of division, right? People disagreeing, maybe an age of anger that maybe is starting or has been around for a little mm. bit. <laughs> what role do we, and, and with the searching we see, because people can't live in that kind of tension without wanting to resolve it. Do you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so in the reach to resolve, what what opportunity do you think we have? Yeah, if we're... I, I think of the Sermon on the Mount and mm. particularly the Beatitudes. Mm. I think of Jesus' you know, vision for fruitful, moral flourishing for humanity. And you know, uh, Richard Dawkins, no friend of Christianity, said that the Sermon on the Mount was ethically way ahead of its time. Mm. It's lauded by all kinds of uh, people, whether they're theists, atheists, you know. So it's got credibility, mm-hmm. you know, whether you embrace Christianity or not. And the you know the the beatitude blessed are the peacemakers mm. for they shall be called sons of God. The opportunity in the midst of anxiety and anger and conflicting politics and views over race, sex, gender, the opportunity is to be a peacemaker. That's mm-hmm. good. And not a cheap. No, that can sound cheap. Mm-hmm. That can sound like let's ignore our differences and just get along. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. A peacemaker is drawing from from the the image of the Old Testament of Shalom, which actually confronts injustice and then promises a re- a repairing of injustice. Right? Mm. That's the vision of the the prophets. So to be a people who make peace is not a people who stick their head in the sand when tough stuff comes up, mm-hmm. but that we actually talk about it, and we talk about it in an effort to move towards shalom together. Right. The challenge is, how do you do that? Right. That sounds great, man. Yeah, let's make this a year of shalom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's be peacemakers as Christians in an age of anxiety and anger. The challenge is, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I think it's appealing to an identity that transcends politics, division, opinions, uh, and that identity is being a son and daughter of God Himself. Yeah, 
you know, mm-hmm. that if my worth is deeply anchored in what God thinks of me, and God is the one who has uh, the most love, the most power, and the most wisdom in all of the universe, my goodness, that's going to give, that's going to displace some of the things that people think about me that maybe are, are less charitable yeah, and are less kind. You know, so there's a, there's a, in order to move in towards kind of the repairing of the division in our society and in our church, I do think we have to come back and say, who am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I right or am I wrong? Is that the fundamental question? Am I loved, unloved, or am I a child of, of the culture or am I a child of God? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the starting place, I think. Otherwise, you're going to act like an orphan. You're going to act yeah. out. I think what's really good. really good about what you're saying is, is and I've noted, we've all noticed this, and, and, and I don't think we're immune to this, okay? But I think the temptation, for, we're all pastors sitting in this room. Many of our listeners are church members, or at least they, they you know, love the idea of church, or, or they love God, right? right? So in that, though, what I've noticed is the temp. so what, what you just said is we need to ask, who am I? But as pastors— and, and believers, Christ, any Christian, the other duty I think we have is to, in helping people answer that question, is to introduce them to Jesus, yeah. to, to put Jesus in the way of the culture a little bit. Maybe that's maybe that sounds disruptive, but I just mean like, hey, introduce people to the source of true beauty, of true shalom, of true, you know. So one, one is beholding God and the mm-hmm. other is becoming, right? Um, but I think the temptation has been to actually go to different answers. And so there are a mm-hmm. lot of churches right now who are speaking a whole lot about politics. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So there's a lot of churches right now who are kind of, instead of saying, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus, they want to get up on stage and say, can you believe how that there are you know drag queen story hours? And then they'll give a TED talk about politics and how if we don't protect this, the the world's mm-hmm. going to go to hell in a handbasket, right? And I have sympathies with, with some of that, you know? They are trying to speak to culture, and I think that's part of our job. But in that, are you introducing people to Jesus, or are mm. you introducing them to a political solution? And I know sometimes it's more nuanced than I'm making it, but I just, I think at, for as a listener out there, there is an active choice. Yeah, are you going to become another talking head? Are you going to become another commentator who just sort of talks about I don't know political things? Mm-hmm. And you know, as a as a podcast that that talks about the intersection of faith and culture, I don't always think we do a great job, but I we try. The right. aim is to say, hey, this is how Christians can think about this. So yes. I just want to. I'm laying that out there. You know, I'm I'm thinking right now, and I really want to have him on the show. There's a guy named Matthew Rose who wrote a book on the four greatest radical right thinkers who are really having an influence on mainstream in the U.S. conservatism in the form of the Republican Party. And all those thinkers hate Christianity. So Mm. they are a pagan right who blames Christianity for things like multiculturalism and the failures of immigration and even the things you're saying about like we need becoming a people of peace and that kind of thing. They would say, oh, no, 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 we don't need to do that. We need to fight Mm -hmm. for an inherited identity that comes from, they might not say race, but they might say culture and these kind of things. And you're starting to see that kind of trickle into mainstream 
forms. So it's not just, yeah. we think it's only going to be from the left, right? In, in, a, in our Bible Belt area, we're like, it's only going to be the left where there'll be enemies of Christianity, but it's actually in the right as well. Um, maybe not on its face as much, but a little deeper in it. I'd like to explore that with him. But my point is to say, I think we should be skeptical if our churches are spending a lot of time talking about political solutions to spiritual realities. Yeah. Looking at the opportunity of being peacemakers, you, you said something earlier before of just like the like the this this kind of space isn't new to the church. It might be new to us or our era or whatever. Right, right. But it's not new to where we've been. And so like I think back of, you know, like the you know, the decline of Rome mm-hmm. and St. Augustine writing, you know, the city of God in response and just a a challenge to kind of the pagan worldview that would say otherwise that you know, Christianity was kind of like what you're just saying, right? Yeah. Christianity is the enemy. Like that accusation has arisen before. Right. Or you you could look through a number of world conflicts where uh, the church was involved. Not all of them handled perfectly, but a lot of examples of, okay, when, when the outside pressures came in and there were things, you know, the norms that were fading, you know, World War II, whatever the case like looking back now, when we look at the what were the 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 remnants or the the jewels that poked up when we think of those that were protecting people from Nazi regime or mm-hmm. who were when when the pla- black plagues coming around and they're going in and trying to it's like you see these people who were like you said they were operating according to a different kind of wisdom a different kind of worldview a different set of values. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it's easy for us to look back now and we laud them and we're like, oh, it's be-. and it's like, man, they were hate. They were not looked at as wise then, <laughs> sure. right? That they, there were people around there like, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't do that. That's yeah. not safe. This right. isn't, you're going right. to, but, but in time we look back and we're like, actually that proved wise. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're getting ready as a church to go through the book of James. And as you speak about being a peacemaker, there's a passage that's been, I've been clinging to as we move into the year. It's in James 3, 17 and 18. He says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Mm. I want to be that. Yeah, right. That's such a beautiful text. Yeah. And the thing that's challenging me is like. And no one's talking like that right now. If you're watching any media, no one's saying that. No one's saying those things. They're not going to like your channel. No, they're not. Oh, yeah. They're not. And it's like that that challenge, like challenges values because it's like, are you all right? We want to be peacemakers. It's like, are you peace loving? Mm -hmm. Like, do you do you love peace? Mm -hmm. Man, are we are we submitting ourselves to the wisdom that comes from above? Am I full of mercy mm-hmm. and sincerity? Right. It's there's a there's a set of values and a and a wisdom that we that we get to operate out of as believers that give us access to that in Christ. And while we have those tools, we have we also have the ability to lead into the wisdom of the world mm-hmm. and to use the world's tools. And so much of the challenge to walk in that kind of reality is ultimately comes down to faith. It's like, do I do I really believe God's tools are enough? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to submit and wait for God? Or do I am I just gonna build my own gold calf because I don't know what Moses is doing up there. Right. 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 And yeah, I've that's that's personally been something challenging me. And I think that's kind of a 
that is a, a challenge for all for all of us for the church as we move forward. How do we beautiful passage of scripture? Thank you for mm-hmm. reading it. I think as we hear it, we aspire to it as the mm-hmm. you know the wisdom from above is peaceable and pure and full of good fruits, yes. unwavering without a problem. There's that there's that longing yeah. peaking mm-hmm. up in us that we yes. talked about earlier. That's mm-hmm. that's present in our society and our culture. How do we embody the mm. wisdom from above? How how do I, when I'm going to visit my family and I know I've got that person on the right or that person on the left that's really going to rub me wrong, how do I embody that wisdom from above? Mm. When I open up my feed and I know the trolls are going to get me and I'm going to I'm going to be angry and I'm probably going to say something that I regret or I'm going to say it in the wrong way, wrong spirit, How how do I express the wisdom that's from above mm. how do we live out this kind of shalom reality this son of da- of god daughter of god f- full of good fruits uh peace how do we do that mm. yeah that's great let's start with i think some um low-hanging fruit steps right and i think it's going to feel like a Jesus juke, but just hang with me for a second. I think if we're not spending time with the one we want to become like, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean that with love. And I'm saying, preaching that to myself just as much. It's like, let me talk about a cho- Let me make it a choice, an active or passive kind of thing, right? It's You're not going to passively become that. So maybe instead of opening the, starting your morning, opening the feed, the first thing you open is your Bible. And you just spend some time. Don't read to like, you know, slam dunk on the libs. You know what I'm saying? Because you can read your Bible that way too. Let me find the passage that talks about Christian sexuality so I can, you know, tweet that out at a trans person or something. I don't know. I'm making it up. But it's like. What a a rough way to begin your morning. Right. (laughs) Right. But how many, how many of us do just turn Mm -hmm. our phone on right away? And maybe we, maybe it's, maybe it's passive because like we're just kind of scrolling and we're not actually going because we want to be triggered. We're going because it's just automatic, but then we are, right? Mm -hmm. So what if instead you interrupt that, you spend a little time with the Lord to encounter him, you spend a little time in prayer, and then if you open your feed, maybe your heart posture, maybe you don't open your feed, which I would say, good job, but maybe you do, Mm -hmm. but your heart posture is a little different. Now you can see the person who's outraged, and you don't see them with your flesh eyes. You see them with the eyes of God who's willing to offer mercy because he first offered it to me. And you hear them with an opportunity to maybe win them rather than destroy them. Do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? So is that, mm-hmm. that's just like some low hanging fruit is like, make sure you're going to the one and spending time with the one you want to be like the, uh, the longing you have, you know? Yeah. What well, other ideas? Yeah. I, one of the things that came to mind, especially as it turned terms of how we deal with people, I often go to, do am I seeing people with the eyes of Christ or am I seeing people with the eyes of a political platform? Am I seeing people with the eyes of, you know, you know whatever the, the, the issue is, depending on the lens by which I do that, obviously being filled in the Holy Spirit, like that is going to greatly affect how I engage, regardless of what I encounter. Right. Um, and uh, a passage I think of often is when Jesus looks out at the multitudes and it says that he had he was filled with compassion because they were distressed and lost like sheep without a shepherd. He was looking out into a city that was full of sinners. 
He was looking out into a city that was sexually promiscuous. He was looking out at a city that people were being mistreated, where people's powers were misusing their authorities and all, all these kinds of things. And what he saw was not like, man, those people need, like, you know, they need to tell it. They need a revolt. Or I need to go in and do it. It's like his, his, his gaze brought him, what he saw broke his heart. Mm-hmm. And he had compassion mm-hmm. and it moved him to respond to people a certain way. And I think first and foremost, especially for us who who belong to Christ, and as we look out into our communities, you know, in the coming months, and we see things that are not in accordance to God's design and plan, is our response to that first political? Mm-hmm. Are those the thoughts that are coming to mind? Is our response to that first from our own our, our own selfish ambitions and what we want out of our community, whatever. Or like Christ, are we looking out and we're like, man, like my my city needs Jesus. My my neighbors need Jesus. This person that I'm sitting in front of, who's really angry about how the polls are going, and you know, I'm afraid to tell them how I'm vote. Whatever the case, it's like, man, they like they need to they need to know that like no matter what, like Christ is on the throne and he's in charge. And like, if if our minds aren't going there, like, mm-hmm. and that's not like you're saying, if we're not spending time with the one we want to be, that's not on my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to see that when I'm looking at them. And now I fall into whatever energy they're spewing. And it's like, I have to, I got to check my heart. And again, going back, like, is my, are my values aligned? Do I value the wisdom from heaven? Do I believe that that has the 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 power to to make the change and then try Jesus like it's, obviously I'm sure all of us have had those moments where we fell into the cultural trap and gave into the the anger or the whatever and it's like how did that work for us probably not great mm-hmm. so it's like hey you know what like just, let's let's try the other way let's try not giving into that and see how that starts to bleed into those conversations and it may not always go in the way of the person responding well to that but we can walk away knowing that we weren't we weren't adding to that that cultural anger and we were able to as best we could shed shed light and, and, and grace upon it mm-hmm. yeah I appreciate Adam the just if we wake up and we step into a feed we are participating in a digital liturgy yes that is mm-hmm. intended to form us mm-hmm. And often the formation is away from the Christ that you're talking about, that you're both talking about, yeah. the, the Prince of Peace, the one with the full, full of shalom. So it, we, we need to recognize that it, they're the formative power of digital liturgies and how do we counteract them with a spiritual liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think of Psalm 90 that says, you know, I will declare your loving kindness in the morning and I will remember your faithfulness by night, mm. morning and evening, a spiritual liturgy to begin and end your day with a reflection on the covenantal love of God mm. that is uh, steady, secure, and for you. And then to get to the end of the day and know you've blown it, mm-hmm. maybe you've done some things right, but all of it's about the faithfulness of God. Yes. You know, so so having a spiritual liturgy in your life that will help you contend with digital liturgies that will move us deeper and closer to the Prince of Peace himself. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think I think that's a great the, the one of the challenges in the heat of the moment 
whether it's online or with a family member or you know someone in the church, is how are you inclined away from the Prince of Peace? Hmm. Do you know yourself well enough to know what will tempt you away from shalom and away from abiding in that that Christ? And I think there's two two maybe major ways that people do this. The conflict comes, the uh, division is creeping in, there are difference of opinions. And one person will say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. So you're rolling and you're, you're scrolling through and it's someone you know mm-hmm. and you don't really agree and you think maybe it's not truthful, but you don't challenge it because you value the relationship over the truth. Right. Mm. Other people, it's not the relationship that they value over the truth. It's they value personally being right over the truth. And maybe we better to say over the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But but what is your constitution mm-hmm. when division comes, when conflict is on the horizon, when uh, relationships are fracturing, when there's something that rubs you wrong? Are you passive because you don't want to rock the relationship? And so out of a idolizing of the approval of your crowd or your family member, you don't say anything? Or are you the person that pounces on the issue because you value being right and demonstrating your your rightness and your righteousness? And so you crush people and you kind of abandon the Prince of Peace. You know, so I think in order to enjoy the the Lord of Peace that we're talking about and to get close to him, we have to know well, how do we get far from him in the heat of the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, if it, one person I found really helpful in this is a guy named Steve Cuss is his name. And he talks about chronic anxiety, but don't be fooled by that. He doesn't mean like clinical anxiety. He's talking about the anxiety that can exist between you and others, between you and God, between groups and stuff. And what he's talking exactly about this idea that basically you can peace fake by being silent, right? But that often has more to do with with idolizing a relationship or comfort or whatever. And you, or you can be, you know, kind of an angry, boisterous person, and you think you're doing God's work, but really all you're doing is bulldozing people. You know, what is that? And and there's psychological terms for it. He uses a term called reactivity. How do you remain? Basically, I think a good practice in this is to look at how Jesus. I was I was thinking this, but and and I'm so glad you said this because I was thinking about how Jesus interacts with people. He doesn't just go to somebody and, you know, they're um, a zealot, so they think the answer is to overthrow Rome. So the analog today is like some kind of political radical, right? And he doesn't just go out and uh, look at them and be like, you're an idiot. He doesn't bulldoze them. He also doesn't just stay silent and go, yeah, I'm so glad that's working for you. And hey, let's go drink wine together or something and just be nice. He doesn't do either one of those. Mm -hmm. He offers something else. He offers himself, Mm -hmm. but he's winsome and wise. There's places where he knows how to press. And I don't, you know... None of most of us probably who are listening and thinking aren't experts in this, but what I love is what you said. What you can do is recognize in the heat of the moment, am I, what am I doing and why? And mm-hmm. that takes practice. So I think it's really good to say, like, hey, don't 
this is another chance to not avoid uncomfortable situation. I think mm-hmm. you can lean into the discomfort, especially around friends and family. You might have that friend that you know, oh, if I go hang out with them tonight, they're going to do whatever. It might not be politics, but it might be they're going to talk forever and they're just going to miss me and not see me and all that. You know, you can just take some time to say, but I'm going to go anyways and I'm going to go to practice like what's ha- noticing what's happening inside me, mm-hmm. uh, offering that to the Lord and thinking through it. But sticking with the family one i think i think it's a really good example because of what you were saying at the beginning jonathan which is this isn't easy mm-hmm. and it's not a piece faking Mm-mm. how do you speak truth in a moment where you know your grandpa's going to say something racist at the dinner table or you know your you know cousin is going to say something about being a communist and hating god you know it's like yeah. how do you negotiate those you know those are extreme examples but it's like i I don't think Jesus would stay silent, but I also don't think he'd bloody their nose. And so, yeah, I I think, and you're going to have to know, I don't think there's a simple formula. I think you're going to have to know how to enter in and know that probably what's happening in them is the same thing that might be happening in you in yes. those situations. They might be playing nice, you know, or enabling because they value the relationship, or they might be bullying because they care about being right. So I think, no, you know, being aware of all those things mm-hmm. is really hard to do. But there is a way to be truthful and honest and offer Jesus and the gospel in all of those moments. And I don't think it's something that happens one time. And I think having mentors and others you can speak in your life and help you through that is really important as well. So, yeah. 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 I have a, a, a statement and then a question. Would, is it safe to say, as I'm hearing both of you talk, and I, I appreciate the there's a there's a nuance and reality to it that as as people are thinking of how they can kind of I guess gird themselves or prepare for these kinds of conversations, that maybe it's more important, like less of having like a, a step one two three of like how to have these conversations, and maybe what's more significant is like who I who I am and who I'm how I'm being formed in step like the preparation for the conversation is like all of the mornings and evenings of spending time and being formed that that prepares my heart and mind to engage and be attuned to those conversations that feel my so then my my question Dotson is we're I know in this this semester we have a a, a class that's been on on your heart that's coming up and in, in kind of wrestling through these things I think as we think through what you said there's a there's a way in which as we, you know, the the word and even the idea of like of doctrines and our beliefs can feel maybe disjointed or can feel far from like a solution to or even a a a help to these really pressing cultural moments, conversations, present dissensions. And yet I think part of some of what you've put together actually shows how how powerful those are to to form us to be able to engage in these ways. So I'd love just for you to kind of help us maybe explain like how does how does our our Christian doctrine, what we believe, not only form us but actually prove proves to give us tools to be able to navigate some of the difficulties that we see in our culture. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> or a class. Give, yeah. give give the elevator pitch. Yeah. So we are doing a class called Do- Doctrine in a Divided Age, and we're trying to show that the historic Christian doctrines of the faith are not just conceptual, abstract things that you slide onto the mental 
library shelf of, mm-hmm. of your mind, but that they actually have street value for cultural issues. So <clears throat> uh, in a divided age. So for instance, the first class will be the Trinity in a fragmented age. And we've kind of been talking about the fragmentation right. for most of this podcast, the, the, the division, the hostility, the, the fragmentation of our society into different groups and power, power circles and platforms. So <clears throat> that is also present in the church around various issues, fault lines. So what I think we have tremendously rich resources in the faith to address fragmentation. And the doctrine that we'll look at is the doctrine of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. In the Holy Trinity, we find a unity and we find a diversity that actually is the template of reality. Hmm. How do you flourish? You flourish like like the Godhead, Hmm. unity, diversity in unity. And there is a place for difference but difference isn't ultimate. The difference serves a unity. Mm. And so, yeah, we could, I mean, that's a, a whole big kind of category, but it's it's an example yeah. of, of what we're talking about. I'm not a huge zombie fan, like zombie movies, but I have watched some of The Walking Dead. Hmm. And in The Walking Dead, there's a, there's a new series called Daryl Dixon. Mm. And and he's kind of the beloved character that's kind of spun off. And, you know, you were talking about the anti-hero. He's mm. kind of the anti-hero. And this newest series is shot in France. And he arrives in France and he meets a, a convent full of nuns that are hoping for change in this kind of post-apocalyptic, zombie-filled factious and fragmented world. In the world of The Walking Dead, there are all kinds of little cliques and groups that are all fighting to survive, mm-hmm. which I think is a very a picture of where we have been. Mm-hmm. There are all these little groups fighting to survive, literally like, you know, assaulting one another and assassinating one another. Mm-hmm. But in this latest episode, Daryl Dixon joins up with this convent and they have a child who is 12 years old, something like that. And they believe he is the chosen one that will bring repair in this post-apocalyptic world, Hmm. that he will bring peace and restoration. This is the walking dead. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think it is another place that we see the longing Mm -hmm. for the shalom that we're talking about in our our world. Mm. And there's this little watchword that when people that are connected to this kind of secret society of of peace and longing for when they transporting the 12 year old they'll see one another how do you know we're on the same team the team of shalom they'll say truth is hope truth is hope and i love it it's so mm-hmm. radical mm-hmm. how can you say this and you know like mm. but the truth of a real promise of peace and a messiah that can repair the divisions and fractions of our world that brings you hope Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we talked about the beginning is that people the hope is peaking up it just doesn't know where to settle Mm -hmm. and all of us christians have an opportunity to show them where it settles Mm -hmm. by being close to jesus the prince of peace by having spiritual liturgies that form uh in us a kind of security that doesn't make me run from conflict 
but doesn't make me conquer people mm-hmm. in conflict. That mm-hmm. doesn't idolize relationship or being right because I am a son of God. I am mm. a daughter of Christ. And that has this, this has this kind of existential shalom internally that that helps me be nonplussed in those mm-hmm. moments. Right. You know? Right. And 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 we become those little moments that people go. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Right. Mm. You embody it. Yeah. That's the perfect place to land. So as we enter this 2024, as we project out and try to think about obstacles to shalom and maybe the reality of culture being a divided one, we get to look at it not through a lens of how to maybe maybe use the same language, how to conquer it or how to acquiesce to it, but how to be embody the wisdom of Christ, embody the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the shalom of Christ in this age. And so, yeah, we're really thankful to be here and to be speaking with you and you, and we hope you'll continue to listen. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from The Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social and check the show notes for more information or on how to best connect with our guests. You can also sign up for the class if you're somewhere in DFW. You can check out our website to do that. See you next time.